Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, Piers Morgan Uncensored. Coming up on tonight's program, Rwanda Revolt. As the air goes spare on sending migrants over there, we'll ask, is Prince Charles right? The Duke of Hazard, Prince Andrew, faces earlier a time for public life as he's barred from another royal ceremony. And has the world actually gone nuts? Wellness Doctor of the Stars, Deepak Chopra, will be here live to tell us. And the Silver Surfer, I'll meet the parting 67-year-old who became a showstopper and possibly my inspiration of the year. The first flight taking asylum seekers from the UK to Rwanda will take off tomorrow after an appeals court ruled with the government. But legal challenges to the policy mean that only about eight people will be on the plane. The government says it's a deterrent, but Prince Charles says it's appalling. Boris Johnson responded to that charge this morning. Just to clarify, Prince Charles is wrong, Prime Minister. What we don't... What we, let me put it this way, Nick. Uh, what I, I don't think that we should support is continued activity by criminal gangs. No, I hear that. I hear that, PM. But the Prince Charles is wrong. Boats, uh, very frail and very dangerous boats are risking their lives, but also breaking the law. And the very last thing Boris Johnson would ever do, of course, is break one of his own laws. We'll, we'll debate all this in a moment, but I want to start with the story of Hassan Akat. And not all asylum seekers are like him, but many are. They're a side of this story we simply should not ignore. 11 years ago, he was a 24-year-old English teacher in Damascus and Syria. He wasn't political, but when 15 schoolboys were detained and later tortured for the crime of spraying graffiti, Hassan, like many others, felt enough was enough. Peaceful demonstrations against President Assad's brutality broke out across his home country. So Hassan joined them and took videos of those protests to post online. For that simple act, which millions of us take for granted every day, he was beaten so badly by security forces he almost lost a leg. Months later, after a terrible spell in solitary confinement and facing a lifetime ban from teaching, he fled Syria, which by then was engulfed in a civil war that would soon become one of the deadliest this century. Well, footage of Sam filmed of his perilous 87-day journey to Britain in the hands of people smugglers became the focus of an award-winning documentary. 
and in the UK, he became a successful filmmaker. But it was more his decision to join the front line of a different kind of war that brought him national acclaim here. He worked as a volunteer cleaner, disinfecting hospital walls, fighting COVID at the height of the pandemic. And this message to Boris Johnson persuaded the government to grant indefinite permission to stay in the country for the relatives of foreign health workers who died from COVID. Us migrants are on the front line doing these very demanding jobs to help this nation overcome this pandemic. And the least you can do if we die to give our families indefinite leave to remain. A powerful contrast to the outcome of the protest that brought him to the UK and one which might never have happened if he hadn't arrived. Well, Hassan, I'm glad to say, joins me now. Hassan, great to see you again. Thanks for having me. Um, this Rwanda proposal of the government, Prince Charles has apparently called it appalling. Uh, today, all the major Church of England leaders have got together, uh, led by the Archbishop of Canterbury and, and bishops, to condemn it. Uh, it's been condemned by many others. On the other side, the government stands by it. Boris Johnson says we've got to stop the illegal people smuggling. And I get some of that argument. So you're in a great position to tell, really, what you think of this proposal. And actually, if that isn't the answer, what is? Uh, well, I do agree with the Prime Minister on stopping boats from crossing the English Channel. I think the English Channel, I mean, it is one of the busiest, uh, busy, uh, one of the busiest shipping lanes in the world. People shouldn't be risking their lives uh, crossing on flimsy dinghies to come and seek asylum in Britain. However, they should be provided, like the Ukrainians, with safe routes, safe passages. People should be, you know, if they're fleeing Afghanistan, Iraq, Syria, Sudan, Eritrea, any country in the world, they should be given a safe passage to the country. Now, a safe passage into the country for these people doesn't exist. People cannot come here in a regular route. So that's why they are pushed to go on these flimsy boats. Now, is um, um, the question that you ask yourself, why are we going to export our responsibility, our moral responsibility, to another country? Um, people who come here are our responsibility, our regal responsibility, and they should be processed and they should be granted asylum here in Britain. Um, uh, the government trying to put them on a plane to send them hasn't happened before. Actually, aside from Israel, no country has tried to export asylum seekers to a different country. Mm. Uh, the UNHCR said yesterday, they said that this, um, this scheme lacks, lacks the, 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 the legality and the appropriateness for moving, one, from moving, for moving people from one country to another. So I think, in my opinion, it's inhumane, it's illegal, and it's, it's inappropriate. When you were in a dinghy yourself, risking your life for freedom, escaping the hell of the war in Syria, put me into that dinghy for a moment. What was it like to be in one of those dinghies, knowing you might actually die? Well, it's horrible because you feel like you're cargo. You feel like you, are, uh, you don't feel human anymore and you're treated as a number. Um, um, did I expect ever in my life when I grew up in Damascus that I, this will ever happen to me? No, because I lived a comfortable life. I lived an incredible life. But you hit rock bottom within a second. You know, we've, 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 we, it just happens in a blink of an eye. And then when through the lottery of the world, you are born with a passport that you can't get visas anywhere, you can't get on a plane and go to, to, to Britain or to America or anywhere in Europe, then you are forced to travel on that boat. It is dehumanizing, it is painful, and it's, it's quite sad. And then imagine having traveled for thousands of miles, risked your life, crossed on a boat, and then came to Britain, expected that you will be dealt with with respect, with dignity, with humanity, and then the government here decides, you to put you, decides to put you on a plane 
and send you to Rwanda, to Rwanda, to a country that you have no connections with, no, no community, no friends, no one to look after you. It's, 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 it's my expectations of coming to Britain before coming to Britain are not aligning with the reality. This is really damaging the reputation of this country internationally. The argument that is put by the other side is that something has to be done that's drastic, something has to be done to deter the people smuggling, and that by doing this, if people genuinely believe, if they're in the Calais jungle, for example, where you were, if they genuinely believe there's a chance they may get flown to Rwanda, it will put them off getting in a boat. Do you think that is likely? It's not going to happen. You know, migration... When did migration ever stop? When did people stop moving? The, um, the, our world right now, you know, if the government is watching the news, man-made crises and climate change is forcing more and more people to, 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 to move, to go on the run. It's not going to stop people from moving. What will... You, me, your viewers, everyone wants to see these boats from stopping from crossing the channel. But to stop that, we have to have legal and safe routes. Uh, you cannot, it's the government's own finding, by the way, when they, in 2019, the Home Affairs Select Committee, they did their, a study of our immigration laws, and they concluded that any policy which focuses primarily on stopping boats from coming will push people to take even more dangerous routes. Mm. People will continue to come, but you know what's going to happen, the long-term effect. People will be pushed to the fringes of society. People won't claim asylum. They will go into the black economy. They won't be able to have access to education, to health, and they won't even, even open bank accounts or get travel documents. Difficult question, but I want to put it to you anyway. If they were being flown to Canada, for example, not one of the poorest countries in the world like Rwanda, which has a, you know, a pretty dodgy record of authoritarianism and, and the rest of it, if it was a country like Canada, would you feel as exercised about it or would you think it was something worth trying? I think that it is Britain's responsibility to deal with its asylum seekers full stop. They're sending them to Canada, to Rwanda, to America, to Malaysia. I don't care where they're sending them. I think it is our responsibility to deal with them. Let alone, imagine someone... Imagine me fleeing Bashar al-Assad's regime, an authoritarian regime, and then travelling all this distance and coming here and then Britain sending me to another authoritarian country. And the truth is, Boris Johnson and his government wouldn't dare send any Ukrainians no. to Rwanda. No. So what they're basically saying is that that war is a protected war where we think that they are fully deserving of coming to our country. But if you're from Syria, where war still rages, or the Yemen, or any of these other countries, somehow you're, you're lesser asylum seekers. I find that part of it pretty hard to deal with. Yes, because it's not a refugee crisis, it's a racism crisis. They're creating a two-tier system. As you said, if you're from Ukraine, if you have a fairer skin, if you have blue eyes, if you're the civilised refugee, we will look after you. We will urge the British public to open their homes for you. Mm. But if you're from Afghanistan or Sudan or Syria or any of these countries, no, we're going to put you on the first... Or even countries like Iraq, where, or we, Iraq, where we wage... Which it. is our responsibility. Right. Yemen, uh, British-made bombs were dropped on Yemen. Mm. Afghanistan, our shambolic evacuation from Afghanistan mm. and uh, Afghanistan falling to the Taliban is our responsibility. And, and Iraq is our responsibility. So when people flee these countries and come here, we sh the least we can do is to, to treat them with dignity and respect and, and look after them. When you were in, in Calais, and you, you obviously met a lot of people who were trying to get over, uh, in the end, you came by plane because you got hold of a, of a passport, and that's how you did it, um, a fake passport. But the people that were there that were planning to get on the boats, for example, there is a belief a large number of them are young male economic migrants. Yes. What was your experience of the people there? It's true. Most, men, most people who are doing these journeys are men. Um, but we shouldn't demonise men. <laughs> I think men are entitled for protection and they should be looked after. 
And then we ask ourselves, why do men do these journeys? I'll tell you why. Because it's men who are fleeing um, military service. Mm. It is men who decide to leave their families behind, do, the, do these horrible journeys, these, these life-threatening journeys, then they can get to their destinations and then apply for family unification and then fly their families. That's why it's mostly men who do it. And then the, the government's own finding most people who cross here to Britain are genuine asylum seekers, are genuine refugees. In fact, the people who are being deported to, to, to Rwanda, the ones who are, they were served with, with uh, deportation notices, some of them are torture survivors. These are the people we're deporting to, 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 to Rwanda. Torture survivors, victims of trafficking, and even unaccompanied minors. Do you know people who have fled the Syrian war who are being sent to Rwanda? Yes, I know two brothers, and they're being separated. One of them is staying here, and the other being sent to Rwanda. Can you imagine? Just think about that for a second. Think about wh wh where's, where's the humanity in that? There are, there are politicians in this country who seem to specialise in demonising those making the trips on the boats. We've got one here. Border force have been overwhelmed this morning. Um, a huge number of boats again today. We even found a vessel a few minutes ago with 13 people in it with no engine. 13 people simply with oars. I mean, this boat hasn't even got an engine. It's probably been stolen. They've got a lovely day. If the weather was to puff up, that'd be the end of that lot. It is not an exaggeration to suggest that if we carry on as we are, it'll be 100,000 people that cross the English Channel this year, and 90,000 of them will be young men without any documents whatsoever. The boats, you can see, are much sturdier uh, than the previous ones we saw in the summer. This is not one of the really big ones, but be, be assured of one thing. They're going to keep coming throughout the whole of the winter. I mean, I would have thought having Nigel Farage patrolling those waters might be a big deterrent anyway, actually, without threatening Rwanda. But the point is that he does this constantly, demonising all of those who are risking lives to come over. What's your message to people like Nigel Farage? Um, uh, I mean, Nigel Farage built his entire career on scapegoating migrants. Uh, when I first came to the country, I remember him standing, standing outside these posters of breaking points. He had these massive posters mm -hmm. in the lead to in the, in the, in the, the referendum, um, um, which is, uh, to me, this is the route that I took. He used people from my country as for his propaganda. Mm -hmm. What really scares me, basically, not Nigel Farage, not, not, I don't care about Nigel Farage, what scares me is when Priti Patel uses that rhetoric, when Priti Patel skips migrants, mm -hmm. the, 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 home, the Home Office Secretary. She's using, basically, she's using us as, as pawns in her culture wars. Mm -hmm. And people are politicians. My message to the, to, to the politicians, do not play politics with people's lives. People don't, co don't come here for fun. They're not coming here for... You know, living as an asylum seeker is crushing. At its worst, it's, it, it, it's really agonising. You live in limbo. You live in five pounds a day. You are not allowed a job. You can't access, you can't access education. I have, a friend of mine has been, in, has been waiting for his, for his asylum for seven years so people are, there are no pull factors. Britain isn't great, you know, and that's why that's the, I'm, I'm really I'm sorry. I'm so fired up, but this is too personal to me. Mm. I'm, 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 I'm. Well, I just remember when you came and one of the first things you did when the pandemic happened was volunteer to go and work in a hospital on a COVID-19 ward when many health workers were dying. And that, to me, showed your gratitude to this country for what it had done by taking you in. I've, I've, I've done that, but, you know, I, I should be... I mean, I should, I, people should be dealt with respect and dignity mm. even without, without having to risk their lives and volunteering in, in COVID wards because it's, it's, mm. it's seeking asylum is, is, is our right, is our human rights, and it's enshrined international law. And Britain now is breaking international law. Hassan, good to see you. Thank, Thank you, you very much indeed. Thank you.
Well, on Sunset Next, we'll be debating exactly what Hassan Khan has just been telling us. Plus, Prince Andrew has been banned from appearing at the Order of the Garda ceremony following an intervention directly by the Prince of Wales and the Duke of Cambridge. Is this the end of public life for the disgraced prince? About the Piers Morgan Arsenal. I'm joined now by the Piers Pack, a veritable trio of stars, Royal Editor of Vanity Fair, Katie Nichol, playwright and political author Ronnie Greer, and Talk TV contributor Esther Cracker. Well, welcome to all of you. Um, Esther, when you hear someone like Hassan Akkad, who came from Syria, nearly got killed in Syria for expressing his right to free speech and protesting, and then finally comes here and then goes and works on a COVID ward as a cleaner to give back to this country. I mean, it takes a pretty hard heart to say people like him should be, if they get here, shipped off to Rwanda, isn't it? Well, the difference is how he got here, right? I think he had enough respect for Britain to not gatecrash his way via dinghy, right? Well, he gatecrashed his way with a fake passport, which meant he didn't have to get a dinghy, but he was in the Calais jungle and many other people like him get in these boats every day and they risk their lives. That doesn't make it right. And this is the thing, I think people often assume that we're not compassionate to people's plight to try mm. to get into the UK. But it really says something about how you try and get into a country if you have complete disregard for rule of law. Look, we're in a cost Doesn't of living... Doesn't it say that they're desperate people? Yeah, but so they're desperate people in the UK. We're in a cost of living crisis. People are, people are being taxed to try and pay for the um, public services that we use to try and take care of their families, right? And the British taxpayers effectively signed a blank cheque to let these people in. And th- there are no cheques, there are no borders, there's none of that. I, I don't think that's fair. But and- Britain's always had a reputation for being, as Hassan said, you know, around the world, uh, for being respectful, Absolutely. for being accepting, for being tolerant. There's a limited... There's, there's, no, there is, there's there is. Capacity. There is, and there are no doubt there are some people, I'm sure, who scam the system. But there's also no doubt that the majority of these people are fleeing war-torn countries. And we used to feel a moral duty to take people in. Now we feel that the only duty we have is put them on a very expensive plane, making no commercial sense, and fly them eight hours and thousands of miles to Rwanda. And I think most people in Britain feel really uncomfortable about this. No, I'm sorry. I don't agree with this idea that we're effectively shirking our responsibility. Britain has always been a very generous country, but we're also a country that has limited space, and there's only so many things we can do. What about genuine asylum seekers, genuine refugees that go through a legal process to try and come to the UK, and we realise that we've, we, we were out of budget because we're having to, you know, put these people in hotels that have effectively come here by dinghies from France. They're not exactly escaping a war-torn country. They're coming from France. It doesn't right? mean they're not escaping war-torn countries. <laughs> exactly. No, I'm... But, but they are. They just happen to have got to France and want to come to the UK. If you're a genuine asylum seeker, you go to the first safe country that you, you, you arrive in. What is wrong with France? It's Nothing, but what if they want to come to Britain? Well, Why you, don't, you don't get a choice. And, and, you say we're not absolving... OK, well, Bonnie, I mean, the argument, we're not absolving our responsibility and they should all stay in France or we send them to Rwanda. I don't hear much from that side of the argument saying, actually, we should take a lot of these people in because they come from countries which, in some cases, we have bombed. Well, you know, quick things. I mean, there's a lot to say, but quickly... um, 
a lot of people, young people, learn English. That's their language. That's language of business. It is the international language. So they got no business in France because they're not going to be able to speak the language. Okay, that's number one. Number two, one CEO said to me, a guy who makes his way across a desert gets on a boat, a raggedy boat, makes it across the Mediterranean, gets across France and gets here. I might want to interview him for a job. Well, like, like, like his son. Yeah, this is enterprising dude. And the third thing is, and, and I, I think it's quite shocking, what's not taught in this country is that everyone in this country is either an immigrant or descended from an immigrant. So, therefore, there should be basic understanding of immigration and a basic tolerance of immigration. I agree. But you know, we have to deal with, you know, w with, with the country. I mean, I would capacity. say, look, we, you have to control your border. Of course Whatever you do. I mean, you that's are. a national You have thing. to have a regulated exactly. immigration but there, system. But there's a myth in this country that this country is somehow not an immigrant country. This is an well, immigrant but the, but the country. Is... And not only that, is that, as you said, in World War II, right before World War II, if it wasn't for Britain, there'd be a lot of British people here who would have been in gas chambers if Britain hadn't taken mm. them but in. But the thing is, what you don't understand is, for every migrant that actually successfully makes it onto a boat, that successfully makes it across the Mediterranean and across the Channel, there are tens of thousands of black Africans that are enslaved in parts of the North Africa and Middle East that don't make it across there. It's, that, not, just, it's not just about these, is that these the, individuals... Is that, is that the reason? No, is, that, is, is that your reason? No, but hold on. It's not just about the individuals that you see that make it across the dinghies. It's, it's the actual economy of people smuggling that you don't see so the why other don't, side so why so why don't we go and deal we with need, that need instead of keeping it? Okay, here's, here's why I do have some sympathy with the argument, is that there's no doubt that our efforts to stop these boats coming mm. have not only failed, the situation has got steadily worse. There's also no doubt that if you don't manage immigration properly, you're going to get parts of the country where they feel like way too many people have come in, way too much pressure on the infrastructure, schools, services and so on. There's no doubt those things can also be true as well as thinking that we should not be sending people to Rwanda. Well, so the answer becomes, if it's not Rwanda, well, what is the answer? Would you have a problem if it was Canada they were sending them to? Well, that's what I asked Asana. Exactly. He said Australia. not. I, look, this is, so he um, this is a British well, I, I, I actually think it's a complex well, why, issue. And I, exactly, and that's my point. You know, to say that suddenly we do this and that action happens... Mm. We didn't have a chance as a body politic to even ask why this particular country. We didn't have a chance. Even the Tory party is saying it is immoral to actually export our immigration situation. I mean, I get, to told, I get told, for example, that it's, you know, Rwanda, terrible place, blah, blah, blah. And then I remember that my football team, Arsenal, the shirt sponsors are Visit Rwanda. Because the president of Rwanda is a big Arsenal fan. But you fan, know, it's not. And, and he's, they pay £10 million a year to sponsor our show. It, it's not about Rwanda, it's about the country exporting its situation to another country right. to be. It's not stopping anything. We're migrants, okay. we'll have to wait and, and see. Right. Going Let me bring to in, move. I want to bring in on a different part of this. Prince Charles ignited a firestorm when reported comments he'd made saying he found this policy appalling mm. were leaked to the media. There's been no denial from the no. palace, which I think always means it's probably true, but there's not, it's not been on the record, obviously. But assuming that it is true, I suppose my question would be, we don't know if he wanted it out there or not, maybe he did, but should Prince Charles be getting into any of these territories right now, given well, that he, he is likely to be king sooner rather than later? And once you're monarch, as his mother has shown for 70 years... You can't be political, because the moment you are, 
you're going to alienate large swathes of your own people. Well, I think two things. One, we see how divisive this issue is, just with two of your panel this right. evening, right? So, for me... And feelings do and run strong about this on both sides. This is a very... I know in, lots of people who feel the same way that Esther does. It's a very inflammatory subject. So, for the future king to be wading in, however that may be, and you're right, we don't know the context, mm. but there hasn't been a denial, um, is quite a divisive thing to say. We don't expect that of a member of our royal family. We don't expect, as a future king, for Charles to be political in any way. Now, we know that the Prince of Wales is very outspoken on a number of issues, from architecture to GM crops to climate change. I mean, he once said when he was accused of being a meddling prince, well, if meddling's making things better, I'll meddle He's away. also... His history was being quite kind to him he, well, he's in a been lot very of the judgment astute. calls that he's made. He's so, been very astute. But that may not be the point. You know, maybe the Queen... Has, I know she has quite a few opinions, but... Well, we never she, knew what her opinion was over Brexit. I mean, she right. just simply didn't get involved. But we, I, think it's I think that's the key, isn't it? It's, yeah. it's, I don't think you can be a, a king or queen of this country and have political opinions. No, and we air. know that Charles does have political opinions, and I think there's something in what you say that possibly he wanted this out because there hasn't been a denial. But it, I think it's very dangerous territory. I think climate change, or it is political, he might argue that this is a humanitarian issue, but it's got him into hot water. Well, as someone who's not grown up in a monarchy, I have to say that, first of all, the guy should be allowed to say what he wants to say. I know he can't, and I know that somebody leaked it and it, that he hasn't denied it, is his way. This will be his kingship. He's getting us ready for the way he's going to be. Well, maybe. He's, maybe. Well, no, 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 I, I, but he won't I, I, be I, I, able I, I, to intervene well, with the government well, well, legislation. Well, 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 no, he won't. But he's made his opinion. Mm. And I think younger people will say, yeah, he should be able to say what he wants to say. I, I, I mean, I certainly, my every instinct say, would be yeah. free speech. He should be entitled to his opinions. Yeah, I don't absolutely. want him to not have opinions. The issue becomes, should a monarch be able to express political opinions. Well, did you have a monarchy? Well, that, well that's... Well, a... you're, adding, you're giving them ammunition, right? You know, right. you don't you want to hear it. One, and, and I, I think mean... the fastest way to end a monarchy is if you have a monarch who expresses political, political opinions, opinions on hot-button issues yep. where you alienate immediately large swathes right, of the Charles population. But Charles is a child, as you say, Charles is a child of the 60s, Charles has always spoken out. Yes. Charles has always spoken his mouth. But only as a Prince of Wales. Yes, and, and yes, he is but still the Prince of Wales. But he's still yeah. the Prince of Wales. And Thank he you. has also acknowledged okay, that when he's Let's talk about somebody who's currently still the Duke of York. Uh, <laughs> but today, he was supposed to appear at the Garter ceremony. Mm. In fact, his name was on the order of service, so he was definitely coming and was going to wear all the robes. This is, by the way, an order for chivalry. I mean, the irony, the irony. is not lost on us. But at the last minute, we're told... Prince Charles and Prince William directly intervened with, we assume, the Queen to say he cannot come. Well, that, that, that's the household put him on there. Right. And then he saw it. See, in the, back in the day, what people used to do that Andrew's accused of, they vanished. Yes. They went and worked in soup kitchens yeah. or they helped the homeless. And he's You've vanished never for about two months. Heard of anybody. Well, that's my point, uh, Esther, because I know your view about the monarchy generally, but my point is. If you, again, want to hasten the end of the monarchy, then you would allow... Someone like him. Someone like Andrew <laughs> to make a, a comeback within two months of but that's paying the a household woman did millions that. and millions yeah, of yeah, dollars, right? Yeah. So I just think you, he can't do this and he can't be allowed to I do this. I mean, the this. man has no judgment. He is so arrogant and has no sense, no sense of, you know, reality. Mm. Why do you think that you are, such, you are such a blessing to public life and public service that you have to shoo your way But that's the age in? we're in. Nobody wants to vanish, OK? <laughs> so, no, no, seriously. So nobody has said to him, Look, dude, what you actually should be doing now, you should be actually volunteering like, like Profumo did in the right, 60s right. at Toynbee Hall. I was going to say Profumo. Yeah, yeah, and he went 
and he helped the poor, and he died. Oh, and yeah, that I mean, was it. Well, listen, he's got, listen, he's got two daughters who are both heavily involved in anti-sex trafficking. Right. Get involved with Beatrice and Eugene. Whatever. Well, actually, whatever. Well, one of the things, one of the things <laughs> that he apparently does want, he wants them to both be allowed to be working yep. royals. I, I feel incredibly sorry for his daughters. Yeah. You know, I know them. I know one very well. She's a delightful young lady. Always thought they behaved impeccably themselves through no fault of their own. Suddenly they're out of the main royal list. They're off the but, balconies but, 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 and they're getting tainted but, by association. But Andrew demanded when Beatrice was born that she be a princess. She was not automatically meant to right. be a princess. He demanded it from his mom, who, who adores him, and his next child to be a princess. So he's always wanted that because that reflects on him. But if he was a really... Uh, uh, modest. He should actually just vanish. There's I want to. I actually, I believe in second chances for people. Right? Uh, not, not, no, 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 not, not like well, <laughs> not, not for everything. I, I think, but the... I do believe in second chances for people. And it has to be said that legally, he's never admitted any crime. He's done an out-of-court settlement in a civil action. So we need to, need to remind but, but people then, but, of that. But, then, but was... then we go against... But I don't we... think you can come back several but, but months after doing this. It's going to be years. We go against what we just said. If he, he becomes, whether he likes it or not, mm. he's born into a role model situation. And what he needs to show people now is how you put, be a public servant without being in the public I agree. eye. I, I... He's, got to, he's got to earn... Just right. go away. I, 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 don't, I don't think so. I, I'm sorry. Even if we put all the allegations aside, he was still friends with a known convicted paedophile. Yeah. And he went on record in an interview and admitted it and showed his lack, his complete lack of judgment. I think you can't come back from okay. that. No, just, I don't sorry. think he ever should come back. Let me just, cheer, well, yeah, let me just exactly. cheer the mood slightly. Uh, we had a, a, a moment at the weekend where Britney Spears... The king. Elvis. Elvis the King. So Britney Spears got, got married at the weekend and she had Elvis Presley as she walked down the aisle. Let's take a little look at the clip. Now, one of the guests at the wedding was Paris Hilton the socialite from Los Angeles. There they are, Perfect. amazing picture. Was this Vegas? This was not Vegas, I'm not quite sure where it was actually, but they, anyway, Elvis was the theme, Paris Hilton's there, and this is personal to me, ladies, because it may come as some surprise to you, but I myself, well actually- Elvis impersonated. Well, before I play the clip, well- <laughs> Just wait for you've it. You've actually hit the nail on the head. So there was a little furore that blew up several weeks ago when Elvis's estate banned Elvis lookalikes and impersonators from performing at Vegas wedding ceremonies. Oh, horrible. And they've just rescinded the ban. They've lifted it. So mm -hmm. the Elvises are back in the day. And this is personal for me, Bonnie, because I actually married Paris Hilton in a Vegas chapel with Elvis Presley there. Well, you think you married Paris Hilton? Watch. Watch. <laughs> you, Pierce Morgan, take Paris Hilton to be your wedded wife. I do. And you, Paris Hilton. Take Piers Morgan to be your lawfully wedded husband. I do. Piers, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. But I'm keeping the ring. And she did keep the ring. And uh, suffice it to say, it, it didn't last. But uh, it was a magical seconds. day. But I'm just so glad that Elvis has been saved for Vegas. That's it would, ridiculous. It he wouldn't be the be, same. We wouldn't remember him if he wasn't. Exactly. Now, what's the worst job you've ever done? Oh. 
Come on, anyone? I, I, lived, okay. I lived with 100 men. What? <laughs> yes, I worked in an IT training centre in France and I lived with all my students and there were about 100 men. Oh, my men. God, that's horrific. Yeah. In my early days in New York, I took a job as a cleaner yeah. and with a feminist painter. And so I went to clean her house. I was very excited because I thought her paintings were going to be there. Mm. Actually, she wanted me to wash her underwear. Oh! And this was a feminist painter. I horrific. left. I can imagine. I worked for Selena Blur. It was before I got into Fleet Street. I was just trying to make some money. And I was tasked with stitching buttons onto these very expensive oh, designers. Anyone that has seen me with needle and thread knows that's the last thing you should give me. So I, I got had to spend one hot, steaming summer in the 70s bagging mushroom compost in a field in East Sussex Ugh. with my brother, uh, who became an army colonel and did many war zones and said that the mushroom that was compost the bagging <laughs> was the worst <laughs> thing he ever <laughs> had to endure. <laughs> but the reason I'm asking you is that last... Uh, about three weeks ago, uh, I said that the worst job in the world was when I heard that Madonna was auditioning for a new toy boy. And I thought oh, that would be the worst job in the world. But it's been quickly overtaken because we now have a new winner, which may never be beaten, actually. President Vladimir Putin's bodyguard apparently has to scoop his excrement from the toilet during trips abroad and store it in a special briefcase. This is reportedly to stop foreign powers stealing the stools to gather information on his health. I think we can all agree... That is the most thankless job well, you know, in Mac the entire Macron world. Macron did not want him to actually... didn't want to have a test because he didn't want his DNA in Russia. It's your DNA. Uh... Yeah. It's your DNA. That's I, what I'm, it I'm is. I'm rarely speechless, you, you might imagine. But, but that is that your is, DNA. Or it may that be is, that he's got that various illnesses which they don't want oh, people to know I about. I would think that's very true. more likely. Very true. Uh, ladies, great to see you. Great <laughs> panel. Come back soon. Thank you very much. I'll say the next. The world's number one... He's like a wellness guru. He's a spiritual guru. He's the guru of all gurus. And my theory is the world's gone completely nuts and I can't think of anybody in the world who can tell me more about what we do about it than Deepak Chopra. Deepak, I'll talk to you after the break. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves... Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com.
Welcome back to Piers Morgan Uncensored. Delighted to be joined now by Deepak Chopra. Deepak, welcome to Piers Morgan Uncensored. I, so I need to start with an apology because I'm told the one thing you don't like being called is a guru. So me repeatedly calling you the guru of all gurus probably was not the best way to introduce you earlier. How do you like to be described? So, Piers, let me ask you a question. Can you spell guru for me? G-U-R-U. That's it. G-U-R-U. The only guru is your own self. Ah. Everything else everything else is an impersonation. So, so uh, how, how you do you best describe yourself, Deepak? I'm still trying to decide what I'll do when I grow up. <laughs> I think any, any description you have of yourself is limiting. Yeah, I know, I know what you mean. I, I, the reason I wanted to get you on was because I just get a feeling a lot of people think the world's gone completely crazy. You know, we've had a global pandemic, a war in Europe, a surging inflation, possibly a recession, culture wars erupting all over the place, cancel culture and so on. Can you put it into some kind of historical perspective? Are things any better or worse now than they've been before? And if the world is going a bit crackers, what's the best advice for dealing with it? So very well stated. If you do not believe that the world is gone insane, then you're declaring your own insanity. What do you call a world that is sleepwalking to extinction right now with climate change, with social and economic injustice, with uh, mass migrations, with pandemics, with uh, mechanized ways of killing each other, cyber warfare, terrorism, uh, the immense fear, sympathetic overdrive. Sleepwalking to extinction is insanity. So we are definitely at a crossroads where we need a new story for our well-being, a new story for humanity, and a new story for this planet. Otherwise, we are doomed. We are sleepwalking, as I said, to extinction. If insects disappeared from this planet, in five years, all life on this planet would cease. If humans disappeared from this planet, in five years, all life on this planet would flourish. We would return to the state of innocence, the state of grace, and the Garden of Eden. Now, metaphorically speaking, what I'm saying is not just a metaphor, it's literal. This world right now does not realize that what we call the average is the psychopathology of the insane, divided, tribal, conditioned mind with modern capacities. You're saying, are things any different? Well, in a way, they aren't. You know, when I spoke to, when I spoke to my parents a long time ago, they spoke of the Holocaust, the Second World War, mm. the atomic bomb. My grandfather spoke about the First World War, the pandemic. But what we have today, Piers, is modern capacities for mechanized extinction and death and tribal medieval minds. The combination doesn't work. We, we also have a, another threat... And I want to preface this uh, by playing a clip. I did, I did the last television interview with Professor Stephen Hawking before he died. And it was a remarkable day, incredible experience in my life, I have to say. But I did put to him a specific question about what is the biggest threat to civilization. Here was his response. There is a greater danger from artificial intelligence if we allow it to become self-designing, for then it can improve itself rapidly and we may lose control. 
You know, I was reminded of that today with this extraordinary story of the Google engineer who claims that uh, an artificial intelligence bot that they do, a language model for dialogue applications, had turned sentient, was beginning to express emotions and feelings and responses of a seven- to eight-year-old human child. Now, Google have denied it, but I was cognizant as I heard, you know, read this story about what Professor Hawking had warned me about, which is the threat from artificial intelligence if it ever does self-design. Well, I'm a fan of artificial intelligence. In fact, I have a replica of mine called digitaldeepak.ai. AI, you can check him out on the internet and he knows more about everything than I do. He's read my 95 books and he can be an excellent coach for well-being, etc. On the Google statement or the Google news, it's absolutely ridiculous, absolutely uh, a joke. Does the AI have anxiety about death? Does the AI have sex? Does the AI feel hunger or thirst? Uh, does the AI have existential dilemmas? The AI is just an algorithm. What Professor Hawking said is true, though, unless we have ethical, uh, ethical uh, editors, editing of AI, it could turn to be dangerous. But I don't think it could ever be sentient. And already there's a move in the AI world called ethical AI, where you build in safeguards against AI taking over or destroying humanity, and you use AI for things that we don't, you know, right now, for example, the legal system is going to be obsolete because of AI, the regular contracts. Diagnosis, precision diagnosis, deep learning, remote surgery, these are all happening because of AI. We could relegate these things to AI so that we can tap into our consciousness for insight, intuition, creativity, higher consciousness, and create a critical mass for a more peaceful, just, sustainable, healthier, and joyful world. And AI has a role provided we are also aware of its possible dangers. There's no technology which comes without danger, Pierce. Fascinating. Um, Deepak, let me ask you about another thing which has been bothering me. A lot of these mass shootings we've been seeing in America, uh, two of the common themes around it are not just guns, obviously, uh, which are the weapons used, but in my view, something else is going on here, which is a combination of the sensory overload that young people are now getting just generally. You know, both the shooter in the Avalde, Texas school mass shooting and the, and the Sandy Hook shooter were both addicted to Call of Duty, the war game, for example. And Hollywood stars today have all signed a petition to try and reduce the amount of glamorising of gun violence in movies. And I spoke to Dr Phil a couple of years ago, and he said the difference between today with young people and when he was young was that the amount of, of bad stuff that young people see now through social media, through clips that do the rounds of their friends and so on, is relentless and is damaging to people. What do you think of that? Well, there are many issues. First of all, America particularly has a romantic relationship with guns and with violence. And so does Hollywood have a romantic relationship. It doesn't matter. We're, st we're going into the different galaxies, but we're still talking about Star Wars. Everything is about a war. Violence is part of our culture and our romance 
with violence is what makes money for Hollywood and for entertainment, and it's the ultimate hypocrisy. The other thing is Americans like to talk about the Second Amendment or you know the right to carry guns, but in the moment they'll strip women of their rights for their reproductive rights. So it's total hypocrisy and it's driven by money. And unless we address the free say, you can, a teenager cannot buy cigarettes or alcohol or pornography, but can go to a 7-Eleven or some Walmart or whatever, or, you know, a gun store, uh, although Walmart is changing his policies, and get a gun. So this is very ridiculous what's happening in America. Unfortunately, the rest of the world follows America. And so between gun violence, the romanticization of violence in general, war and terrorism as something to be looked up to, and the chain of money that drives these with special interest groups, especially in Washington. There are, for every, for every legislator, there are 30 healthcare lobbyists, 30 gun lobbyists, mm. 30 you know, people from the medical industrial complex. So what we call corruption, cronyism, influence peddling, and gangster leadership is taking over the world. And we really have to resist that. We are at a crossroads now with new things emerging like blockchain and uh, NFTs and metaverse, where I think we'll need to take um, power away from these people who are only interested in cronyism, corruption, and money peddling, and bring democracy truly uh, on a global level through information technologies and even AI. You know, Deepak, you always express these things so eloquently, uh, far better than I could. You've got a great book out, uh, Abundance in a Path to Wealth. Uh, you got the idea, I understand, from the Bob Marley lyrics, some people are so poor, all they have is money, which is brilliant. Uh, Deepak, it. I've got to leave it there. I could talk to you for hours, and we'd love to get you back again. Thank you. Uh, it's Thank great you, to talk Piers. to you again. Thank you very much for joining me. Thank you. Thank you very much, Piers. On Sense of Next, find out why this 67-year-old man may be the most inspiring public figure in Britain right now. Now, most 67-year-olds, when they hear a song like Mr Brightside by The Killers, probably think, not for me, get the pipe out, the slippers and just slouch in front of a TV watching Love Island repeats. But not our guy, because last night was on Saturday night, the killers were playing at Old Trafford in Manchester and somebody went crowd surfing. Well, Doug James, 67, decided to just get airborne for about 35 to 45 seconds. Uh, unfortunately, he then fell on his head, causing himself quite nasty injuries. He was fine, but here's the killer's lead singer, Brandon Flowers. They paused the performance to make sure he was all right with blood steaming from Doug's head. And then uh, Doug taking the, the crowd's cheers, obviously. Now, my first reaction, I'm joined now by, by Doug James and his son, Baz, who is with him. Doug, first of all, how yeah. are you? I'm absolutely fine. I've just got a few aches, you know, with the old muscles there, like, but otherwise, Perfectly fine. Good. Well, my first reaction was, <laughs> what is this lunatic doing at 67 going crowd surfing at a killer's concert? And then 
I thought about it, Doug, and I realised you're yeah. actually an inspiration to all of us who are now hurtling through middle age <laughs> towards 67, and I now <laughs> want to go crowd surfing. You've become an inspiration to me. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. But let me I ask you... I did have a look at your crowd surfing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, on a technical yes, point, though, Doug, when you were actually airborne, did you not worry that this might prove to be yeah. the last thing you ever do on Earth? Oh, no. No, no. You, 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 you cannot worry like that. You, you've got to trust the crowd, go with it, you know, and you feel, you know, you can feel that they're supporting you underneath. Admittedly, I did have a few dips, and the last dip was quite a big dip, but never mind. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was good fun, and I enjoyed it. All right, now, Baz, you know, most, most young people who go to a yeah, concert yeah. like The Killers... They don't really want to see their, their old dad getting crowd surfed and then plummeting to his head. What was your reaction to it? Well, I, I, I was chasing him through the crowd and he was, you know, ahead of me. Um, and at first I was a bit worried, but then, you know, he, he got up and he was talking himself and absolutely fine. And then after that, it was, you know, just everyone in the crowd. I mean, he, he got called the wrong name on stage, so everyone was going, it's Billy, it's Billy, get a photo with Billy. <laughs> And, uh, and everyone was dead happy afterwards, so it was... Uh, it so was what you're really fun. saying, what you're really saying is that your old man has now become a bona fide rock star. Because even the killers tweeted a no, picture I, of you, Doug, I, I, with the headline, there's no age limit for rock and roll. Why is he calling me an old man? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, it's, uh, uh, it's been we've got such a, a good, like... I just wanted to get you on the show so to say to Doug, congratulations, you are my inspiration. Keep surfing. Thank you. And I want to be surfing when I'm your age. Thank you both for giving us all a good laugh. That's it from me. Whatever you're up to, keep it uncensored. Good night. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.